Hey guys, this is Dagon123, and welcome to... Dagoncast! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next exciting episode of TenchiCast, presented by TenchiForum.com. With me today is a great cast of people. I have Chuck. Hey. Evil Pie. Hello, everyone. JG Zimb. We want more duel. Kyoka. I like insanity. L. Hello there. And mittens. Muffins! When an anime series gets big, a manga counterpart is always there to complement it. And for Tenchi, that was done by one Hitoshi Okuda. And like every other person who's gotten behind the characters, gave them his signature twist. The manga introduces many new characters, some reoccurring and some once and done. Which new character is your favorite and why? Alright, starting it off good. Well, first off, I would just want to note that I think o- Okuda does a fantastic job with the cast, the uh, the main cast as it is. They feel exactly like we already were accustomed to. They feel they feel like the same characters we've known in the anime for years. And the addition of several reoccurring characters and new characters fit so well with these casts. They react exactly like you would expect. And it just feels great to have new characters added in in a way that is really pleasing to the fans and makes sense. Um, as for the new characters, I mean, there's so many to choose from, but for me, it was it's always going to be Minagi. And for those of you who don't know, Minagi is a Ryoko clone. She was created by um, another new character, recurring character named uh, Yakagi, who is sort of like a Kagato-esque uh, fellow student of Washu. And Minagi is very different from Ryoko, however. She's much more of a sweetheart, and she's um, she fits in very well with the cast, and she eventually even becomes a space pirate of her own, although she fights for the underdogs and against the, the rich corporations. So you could sort of say, like, a Robin Hood in space, almost. But what I really what really gets me about, about Minagi is that she's such a good complement to Ryoko. Ryoko is brash and bold. Whereas Minagi is slightly more reserved, thoughtful, and much more open with her emotions, and um, very caring. So, in, in those ways, it's uh, Minagi, Minagi for me all the way. As Chuck said, a, there's a wide variety of characters to choose from, and choosing one is very difficult. I could look at the list. We've got Minagi and Yakage, who Chuck has already told us about. We also have Yume and the Shima brothers. We've got a girl who had was sweet on Tenchi, and uh, I'm not going to spoil that story, but she's really early on. And then you have Garyu, and you have Ibaras. I keep looking at all the lists and seeing all these great characters, so... I have to go ahead and give a shout-out to one of the underdogs who is not represented very well, and that's my boy Ibarra. Ibarra comes from a full-volume story in Volume 9, The Quest for More Money. Um, Ibarra is a young Dryan man who has been left on a planet to guard the Nameless Tree, essentially for, for the rest of his life, or until another, ni- another knight or surrogate comes to take his place. And he looks like, kind of like Minagi, he's an older version of Tenshi. 
And he looks a lot like Tenchi, and as the story goes, there's some connection with between him and Ryoko. Again, no, I'm not going to spoil that story for you, because I expect you to go read it. But uh, the idea is that you get to see a more mature version of what you could call a more mature version of Tenshi, where he's not only more muscular, he's more refined, he is also in control of his fat, uh, all his abilities, but you get to see kind of a more mature character in this group, as opposed to the usual slapstick uh, love triangle goodness you get with the rest of the cast. And so that's where my, my heart goes to for the moment, is you see the more mature romance between Ibarra and his the object of his affection who is Ryoko what was the name of the uh, which I'll state up here up front for those listening that unfortunately I was only able to go through the complete series once so my brain is about as rusty as you know Optimus Prime after cosmic rust so what was the name of the the character that was the monk and the uh, kind of like the Dryan uh, woodcarver's uh, daughter you know Gohei and then you also had the prince of the planet that was dying, uh, who captured Aika. You know, there, there's a couple of good ones in there. I think those were my favorite characters of the, the new cast, at least of the reoccurring ones. Yeah, that, that's, those are probably the two or three that I like the best. Uh, out of all the characters, I don't know. I, I probably quite like Minagi quite a lot. She, she does appear quite a lot in it, so her character's more fleshed out than some of the others who only appear like a few times, like, uh, Goge the monk. He, he's not in it as much as Minagi, so yeah, probably I'd have to go with Minagi. There were a lot of characters I liked, um, but I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm just gonna say I like the villains because they were really interesting villains. And but uh, yeah, I, did, I liked Garyu because I, I liked the uh, Aegark stuff. So, yeah. JG the uh, the monk. His name was uh, Goji. Yeah, and Garyu was the prince of the yeah the planet who was dying, who kidnapped Aika and, and brainwashed her. That was a that was a good arc too. That one was toward the end of the first season. Yeah, the prince of Aku too. The Garyu arc still stands as one of my favorites. Yeah, that is that's a darn good one. And that one, that one gets overlooked too. I mean, that one's it's sort of sandwiched in between uh, the the Yume arc and the Dark Washu arc, and those are two of the most popular ones. So that one sort of gets forgotten. Which is a shame, too, because that's a really good one. I think the whole arc that dealt with uh, dry and tree builders and woodworkers or whatever, woodcarvers family that dealt with it gave you a better look at dry and some of the other things going on. And You had uh, some good Yosho moments in there, among other things. So it stood out to me as a uh, just an overall good arc period. There wasn't anything that you really lacked in it. Yeah, that was the Yume arc. It was still stands as the longest arc in the in the series, and it it was a damn good one. Yeah, that one goes by like two different names because the first because that one can sort of be split up into two mini arcs because the first one deals with Ryuten, which is the name of that planet, and then only after two and a half volumes does it, is it revealed that the whole thing was a uh, was a plot of Yume, and then it sort of becomes the Yume arc. But yeah, that that the longest one, and it's one of the best ones. Of course, we got those little short and sweet ones. I mentioned Hiwa earlier. She was in love with Tenshi, and she died young. And as such, she's a spirit, and she essentially puts Tenshi, Aike, and Ryoko into this simulator thing. I think Washu helps out with this. To essentially put her put her heart at peace so that she real, has Ryoko and Aika realize that they need to take care of Tenshi for her. Yeah, I think that was the saddest one. That one, 
that one had me tearing up a bit. That was a good one. I don't know if you want to keep going along this train of thought because I mean the next question sort of is about which story is your favorite. I mean this is good. This is good scatterbrain stuff in here, but I don't know. The saddest arc I thought was the one where the little girl wanted to see tsunami, and her what was it? Her heart got transplanted. My favorite character is Yume. Um, possibly helped by the long arc she had to herself that fleshed out her character. I quite liked her arrogance and pride. It made her look comedic and, and at times sort of fitting the evil scientist role. And I must say her character design was brilliant too. I guess I'm just attracted to evil-like characters. Well, as far as the new characters, I'm not completely uh, knowledgeable about everyone, obviously, but I was really a fan of Yakage. I thought that uh, his quest to make the perfect sword was really cool. He wasn't he wasn't like Kagato in that he was completely evil. He wasn't completely evil. He would just do things by any means necessary. But on that same token, he wasn't. He didn't do things just to just because he had a, a sick. Uh, fascination with destroying people or seeing people deconstructed or anything like that. He was very much all his all he was centered on was the perfect sword, and I really I really liked his design from an artistic aspect. I thought it was really cool. I, I was a fan of Minagi, but Yakage was the one I think really put over the first arc for me. The manga consists of several multi-volume arcs separated by many shorter stories, both sweet and sad. Which of these stories most resonated with you and why? Well, I have to be the one to pull out the my favorite arc, which is the Garyu arc. I as much as I love the Yume the long Yume arc as well as the introductory arc from Minagi, the Dark Washu arc, and many of the other even the ending arc with uh, when Masaki Kione shows up at the very end. All those arcs are good, but I actually oh the one with Garyu, the Prince of Oku too stands out in my mind because it answers one question that has been burning on my mind forever. You always see Ryoko and Ayaka at odds with each other. They they tease. They'd even blow up sometimes blow up rooms and how and apartments just to get their frustrations out. And then you see many times you see Ryoko going full space pirate on something, terrorizing a planet. Again, this is Ova series Ryoko who could seriously take on Jirai by herself if she really chose to. And but on the other side, you always see Ayaka's really quiet and always keeps her powers under wraps until she gets too pissed and then she blah, power everywhere. But you never see her lose control. You never see her abu- essentially abuse her abilities or the, you never see the full potential of what she can do. In the Garyu arc, she's mind controlled by this, my, this uh, young, boy, young man by the name of Garyu, prince of a dying planet, Oku 2. And when she's under his power... All of, the, all of her love and all of her affection towards Tenshi is tor- turned towards Garyu instead. She is absolutely devoted to him. In which case, he tells her, go kill Tenshi. You see full page, full splash pages of Ayaka with death in her eyes, which is something you never see any, anywhere else in the, in the franchise. You see Ayaka fight Tenshi to a standstill sometimes. Uh, now, keep in mind, he's not using the Lighthawk wings, and he is holding back, but Ayaka can hold her own, and it's something that you never see is Ayaka... A- really angry, except I think you see her once when he- she fights Kagata, who's way above her level. But 
that that scene shows Ike in a completely different light than you see most of the rest of the franchise, which I really loved that interpretation of her. It's a close one, but I'd have to go with the Yumei arc. Um, my reasons are it has a, it had a, such a strong plot and fitted in the best of the Tenshi verse. It was well paced out, and the new characters didn't seem out of place. Usually with new characters, especially female, uh, people show negativity towards them. Huda never worked on the anime, but it clearly showed he knew the characters. And he also sings about Jirai, we, we didn't complain about. Um, but the close tie was between that and the, uh, the very short Mitsu story. And I thought that was really, really good, because... I mean, Jirai is this most powerful um, empire. You think, oh, the last thing that's going to threaten it is a cute little creature. But what's so threatening is he eats Jirai trees and he feeds on Jirai power. And I thought that was a really good twist uh, instead of like oh, some super machine or a super sheep. No, it's just a cuddly little creature. <laughs> The Yume arc is, you know, incredibly good. It's, it's, I think, the longest one there, and it's well written. But I don't know. I, I think I'll go for the Dark Washu arc because I quite like that. With you know, like one of Washu's inventions from the past, going back to terrorize and stuff. And it was quite good to see Washu get a bit more, you know, main storyline. Oh man, where to begin? I mean, I'm a fan of of all all three types of stories, the big long arcs and the, the short and sweets, as I call them, and the short and sads. Um, first, I, I guess I'll weigh in on, on which arc is my favorite, because that seems to be what everyone's what's, what everyone's going for. My favorite arc was, we call it the, the unnamed tree arc, which is the uh, the volume called the, uh, the, the Quest for More Money. And just like Pi was saying with it, offers a new, what his arc, the Garyu arc, offers a new look at Aika. Well, the un- the uh, the unnamed tree arc really gives us a new look at Ryoko that we really have never seen before or since, um, because she is all of a sudden having these memories, these flashbacks of a time when she was under Kagato's control, and where she encountered this man who looks just like Tenshi, and he made such a strong impact on her that she's remembering him now, and it's really throwing her into like. An emotional crisis because she's thinking to herself, "Well, is the only reason I like Tenshi because I remember this man?" And so it really, you really see her in in a really a crisis of the soul. It really reveals depths of her character that we haven't seen before in the anime. And of course, the arc is just badass all on its own. They go and they they find this unnamed planet with this this rejected dry tree without a name, and they meet its guardian, who's the man that Ryoko remembers. And he's still in love with her after all this time, but she doesn't remember him very well. And so it, it ends. It, it leads to some good tension between uh, the three of them, between the man um, Ibarra and Tenshi and Ryoko. So it's actually quite cool to see Tenshi thrown into the love triangle in a, in a way that he's never been. He's usually very passive, but in this in this one, he actually shows a bit more interest, and it's. Along with along with Ryoko's character change, it's, it's quite a refreshing view on the uh, the whole love triangle theme of Tenshi. Um, so that that would be my favorite arc. But the the favorite story, the one that, that really hit me the most, um, I'm going to have to agree with Kyoka and say that the Mitsu story. It was only one or two two vol- issues long, but that one 
really, really had me almost in tears by the end. That one was so sweet and so bitterly sad at the end. And it was just something else. And just like Kyoka says, it was it was a great plot element to have these little creatures be this grave threat to Jirai. But what really got me was the uh, the friendship that Ryoko, uh, Ryoko Aeka was eventually able to have with this little creature. It sort of became like a counter a, a counterpoint to uh, Ryoko and Ryooki, and I just thought it was a really good balance and a new play on um, on Aeka's character, showing her more caring side toward this this creature. And like I said, I won't spoil the ending, but it's it's very very sad, and it it it, it really hit you in the gut, really. And so that's the one that I always remember the most when I think of the uh, the manga stories. I can't really say I necessarily have a favorite. I mean, I really do like the Ryuten arc uh, with the tree builders. I mean, I keep hitting on that just because yeah, it's long and all that. And then my you know, second, I guess, would probably be the one with the uh, you know the Prince of the Dying Planet and you know what he did with Aika. And of course, you've got the mystery tree in there. But I think overall, it's not so much a single arc that I liked as much as the small nods hidden everywhere across all of the volumes. It's not a single thing, but the sum of its parts. You know, there's a little nod in there when Lady Fanaho comes visiting, or when, um, you know, we get to see her in a different light. And there's a bunch of different parts of Yosho being badass one-handed while he's, you know, carrying a baby in one arm. And, you know, there's this part uh, with Ryoko and Tenchi with the nameless tree powering up and you know, defeating everything, and uh, there's a little part in there that explains why does the Tenchi Masaki family have all these freaking carrot fields? Well, it's because that's how they pay for everything, and they keep afloat. So he constantly farms carrots, uh, and they're well known throughout Japan as the Masaki carrots. You know, there, there's just time after time after time where there's these little footnotes in there that tie everything together, and beyond that, then you even have a lot of pokes at like uh, the OVA and Kajishima's story where it doesn't make sense and this author is going through and saying you know hey this would make more sense if we do it this way you know snicker snicker so I think overall I have to say is it's a sum of a bunch of different elements not maybe just one story uh, that sells it for me uh, I'm a really uh, my favorite character is Mihoshi and uh, I really liked how he wrote Mihoshi as a character, and I like the story where Mihoshi picks that she's getting married to Tenchi for her uh, dying grandma. I don't know; it was it was sad, and Tenchi was such a sweetheart, and and there you know there were other there are a ton of other short Mihoshi stories like where she's learning how to drive and doing horrible but still passing, and where she talks tried to talk the bank robber out of being a bank robber. I don't know; those are the ones I liked. After the end of the second OVA, the manga was left as the only regularly continuing telling of the Tenchi story for many years, charting its own path and standing on its own, independent of Tenchi's previous writers. Did this enhance or detract from your experience, and if so, in what ways? Uh, well, I don't have much to say to this. Um, I think even before and after it still stands today as brilliant, and... I always say this, it should have been uh, OVA 3 because it's just miles and miles better than that. Oh man, this one's near and dear to my heart because 
as as you say, after the second OVA was done and Universe was done and Tokyo was done, it was pretty much outside of the movies and the doujins in Japan, who all knows them. I mean, really, they're obscure. But other than those, after after the last movie and between that and OVA three, there was no new Tenchi material being released in any significant quantity except for the manga, and it really it sort of rises to the challenge and it stands on its own two feet after that time as it, it pretty much says to the world, yes, I am the Tenchi continuation. And it really shows in the, in the, in the writing, they're completely confident being able to go out and write on their own outside of the established Kajishima canon and the, the universe canon. And it works well They They do give nods to the OVA canon, which is what it's originally based off of. But they don't, they're not slaves to it, and it really works well, I think, especially in the world-building that they do. I mean, we see um, planets, like uh, the Ryuten planet, the planet that builds the, the dry trees into ships, and stuff that we would never have seen in, in the OVA. And it's, it's pretty much, I, I've said it for, for a while now, the, the two series of the manga is pretty much at least a good three or four seasons worth of Tenshi material if it were animated, and it really feels like it maintains its its uh, its strain all the way along. It really, never goes it never goes old, and it's really good to see for especially for for those who get to the end of the OVA and universe and and wonder, well, why isn't there any more? Well, there is. It's just on the the printed page rather than on the on the screen, and I think a lot of people would really benefit if they're feeling a bit let down after the end of Universe or, or the OVA, that they should then turn to the manga because, I mean, it just keeps going. It goes and it stays strong for over 10 years worth of manga stuff um, in there. And I think it really stands well on its own. And I'm glad that we had something in that gap between, um, between Tenshi releases. I guess for anybody who watched OVA 3 and went, what the frack? Uh... Just, you know, maybe blank that out of your mind. I mean, eventually we'll have to return to that universe and the carnival will come around again. But uh, I really think it would be appropriate for maybe Kajishima to now, as we've constantly called it, pull a George Lucas and maybe hand off the license or the series to somebody else at this point. And in which case, I think it would do a, it would be a great disservice if they did not pull directly from or at least reference the manga because you know as Chuck said every part of it um, the only part I was really disappointed with in the manga is maybe you could have used uh, Keone Maccabi in there and the ending of the very last second series book is kind of weak but other than that I mean it's an enjoyable ride there's nothing really to say negative about it it's it's core Tenchi it's the the stuff that we expected from OVA 1 and 2 continuing on. Uh, being a manga format, it is a little bit, you could say, a little bit more of a light-hearted uh, style, I think, you know, rather than maybe some of the darker elements like Kagato floating around. But it's still very well illustrated. It still holds up very well uh, today. Uh, it would be great to see if somebody would go through and reprint it uh, for today's audience now that Tenchi's coming back through you know, with Funimation testing the waters essentially with War on Geminar and some other things. So, I mean, overall, if if you like Tenchi, read the darn manga. If you haven't, 
you're missing out. I would say the reading the manga actually enhanced my experience in the entire thing because, as Chuck said, it does a good job of world building. It uh, does a lot of a lot of what you would expect a manga to do. Usually, when you have an anime, and this is actually a fact that uh, gets overlooked, most ma- most anime series that you see were in many cases, manga first. For example, Dragon Ball was a manga first. Uh, you know, Akira was written as a book first. Uh, I think I think a uh, record Lotus War, if I remember correctly, was a uh, light was a light young, junior novel as well as a manga before it became animated as well. So you have all the tradition is usually book first, anime second. Tenshi went the other way around. You had anime first, which was the original OVA uh, OVA series or series one. And then the manga was started shortly afterward, along with like Hazagawa's novels and what have you. But um, I actually think that the manga did a very good job of expanding the universe, kind of like Chuck mentioned with uh, George, or I forget who it was, it said George Lucas. Uh, it's kind of the expanded universe. It kind of goes off on its own little thing, uh, explores aspects, and takes the time to explore aspects that maybe you hadn't thought about, like Ryuten, thought about what other planets are out there besides besides the Jiraiyan Empire. That's where you have, like, Garyu showing up. And so you have all, all this expanded universe that the manga explores that no one's had a chance to. And you it answers certain questions, one, which will, I think, is actually the, one of the later questions in this podcast is when we start talking about some of the things that were original to the manga that are not in any other franchise or any other part of the franchise. They explored with a lot of ideas that had not been played with, and I think it actually made it better, and I think it made it a lot better. Plot-wise, character-wise, and dialogue-wise, it is on perfectly equal footing with the the OVA series 1 and 2 and Universe. I mean, it it goes completely in-hand with them, and yeah, it makes the whole Tenchi universe uh, better for its existing. I have to agree with the with everybody else here, and uh, I agree that it enhanced, and uh, like back in 2001, you know, I was obsessed with Tenchi, and everything was Tenchi, and you know, after the series, it's like, I went to the, I would go to the bookstore and search for the manga, and bought a lot of it there, and um, yeah, I, I really like what I could have brought to the show, and I would have to say, from my reading experience, it very much enhanced the franchise for me. Um, Okuda really knows the characters. Like Naoko Hasegawa, he knows what will make the characters sad or happy. He knows when they will do this or when they will do that. Okuda's also smart enough to figure out how to insert his own style into it without conflicting with the core of the characters at all. You know, we see that throughout the manga. And from what I've heard and haven't read and have read, um... He really knows his stuff. Like he really knows how each character will react to a certain situation. How, what villains will help get the Tenchi cast over with everybody? You know, it's like the underdogs and coming up. He knows how to not make it to where they're untouchable, where they're, for lack of better words, Mary Sue's. He knows that they're they need to have faults as well as have strong points, and he knows how to show the reader, oh hey. And build him up and build him down. He's a fantastic writer, and he knows exactly what he's talking about. I don't really feel that any part of it detracted from me, uh, from the majority of the Tenchi franchise. There were a few parts of it I wasn't 100% on, like the fact that they referred to Ryoko as a machine a lot of the time. Like, oh, well, 
her brain is on the fritz again or whatever. She's just a machine. She's just a machine. And I thought that that was kind of like a, you really didn't have to keep poking on that point. Like, I realized that she was made from mass and she wasn't made in the traditional sense of what we'll call a being. But I mean, that was just a little bit like, like while she would refer to her in a condescending sense, not like she doesn't do that for a lot of characters, but that was just kind of like, okay, I get the point. You don't have to, you don't have to keep harping on with that. But other than that, yeah, I think that Okuda should be considered with everything else in the franchise is, you know, a big part of the franchise. Anybody who's a Tenchi fan should read the manga because it's, if you're, if you're, if you have an itch for Tenchi, read the manga. It'll fix it. With the sheer quantity of material available from the manga, do you think it would be a good idea for someone to come along and animate any of it? Oh gosh, I think I already answer, kind of answered that. Um, ah, boy. It would be, I mean, yes, it needs to be animated, period. I'd much rather see this as its own continuity, uh, branching off of the OVA, um, is another side series like Universe or Tokyo. Um, there's a lot of it that it actually the manga kind of pulls from Universe in the way of his um, kind of reading material or something. I think he, the Okuda pulled, you know, he looked at both Tenchi Universe and the OVA 1 and 2 and then went from there and did his own thing to some degree. But what story would be the best to start it out with? That's really, really difficult to say. Yeah, I I have to keep harping on it, but probably the Ryuten arc with the the tree builders because even though it is a very long arc, it mixes a lot of stuff. It's got the uh, kind of a adventuring flair to it, and there is a lot of material there. I think that would hook enough people into it to continue on with either additional add-ons or something. If they wouldn't go through and do a new series based on that, I would say just make a bunch of little one-offs episodes like real you know Tenchi family you know the adventures of Tenchi or whatever uh, and company and do a lot of these little side stories about what's going on in the day-to-day -day life like bonus episodes or something that you'd see in another series and just wrap them all together and then sell it off like that I mean that probably wouldn't be the um, distributor companies like Funimation's probably preferred way of doing something but you can sell it off that way uh, and make a lot of fans happy and interested in it again and show it on television with random episodes and there's no super big overlying plot to have to dive into or you know catch us next week to figure out what the frack happened and I don't know. It, I mean, it could. I think it could work as a standalone thing, and that way you don't have the whole conflict with the OVA universe. Make a bunch of side stories. Make the whole thing. Just get on with it, and let's see it. Uh, yes, all of them, please. Um, yeah, I want to see Ayaka with the original hair and all the cute stories with me, Hershey, and uh, yeah, it would all translate pretty well to TV. Uh, yeah, it definitely needs to be animated. Uh, probably won't happen, but uh, if it does, I mean, if you just do the Minagi and Yume arc, uh, that, that's basically like a full series there in itself. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to totally agree with everyone here. Animate the darn thing already. I mean, it's right there. You don't even need to, to spend a lot of money to come up with a new story. You've got ten years worth right there staring you in the face. Um, 
As for how it should be animated, I mean, if we're going to do, as JG and L say, some of the larger arcs, we're probably going to have to start with the first one, because that's the one that introduces a lot of the themes and a lot of the recurring characters like Minagi. But I also agree with JG that a lot of these little one-shot stories would work brilliantly as like special episodes, a la the Mahoshi episode, the Mahoshi special. Um, other than that, what I think would be the best one ever to be animated, either in like movie form or maybe like a miniseries, would be the Unnamed Tree Arc. And I've, I know I've already said a lot about that already, but that one deal, that one has everything that that you could want from Tenchi. It has the romance, it has a new look at Ryoko and all the other characters. Um, it has action, it has um, Ryoko's past catching up with her. It's got world building with the unnamed tree, and it's just long enough. It's exactly one volume of the manga, so about six, six, uh, six issues. That is just long enough that I think it could probably be fit re- really well into a movie or like a TV movie or something. And that's the one that I would start with because that one doesn't have any of the previous recurring characters. And it's, I think the best one just totally encapsulated story of, of the arcs. Oh yeah. The, uh, the UMA arcs obviously getting my vote. I mean, I've already said how good it is. And I mean, it's long enough to be a movie possibly. Uh, I'd love to see Yumi's henchmen and Yumi herself animated. And, I mean, the, the favourite scene that I would be on the edge of my seat would be the end with the black hawk wings. That's such an edge of your seat moment. Uh, well, yeah, I just think that's, I think that's the best story to represent the um, Akuda's brilliance of just making up a story. And he's not the creator, it just shows that you don't have to be the head on your show to do the best. I think everyone here has already stated that we need this animated as soon as possible. Uh, the question again becomes how to do it, as Chuck and others have already already illustrated. Uh, Chuck in particular, I believe, is correct in stating that we should start with uh, Yakage and Minagi, for sure. Uh, that would be a great way to reintroduce everyone, because the start of that issue has a quick recap, not not unlike the way Over 3 did, but a little bit more uh, brief, just kind of getting the people's feet on the ground as to who we are and what we're going to do. But it depends on what kind of series you want out of this. Because this series, again, the manga has so many different aspects to it and so many different feels to it that choosing one, choosing which way to go is very, very tricky. So you have you have the big long arcs, the action-oriented arcs. You have the short and sweets. You have the short and sads. Uh, I actually think, one of, I forget, was it J.G. or Chuck who said that this could easily be made into a series of specials or maybe into one-shot OVAs. They've done that with a lot of series. The Dragon Ball movies are essentially that way. They don't really have anything to do with each other. Uh, They're all kind of off-continuity arcs. Bleach has done the same thing with movies that are set out of continuity. Um... Also, Viz, when they originally published this, uh, published the manga in the States, made a single volume that was called Sasami Stories. And all it was was a bunch of the cute stories that were just Sasami. Most of them are uh, one one chapter long. They're just cute little shorts that say, 
here's Sasami doing doing something that you wouldn't have expected, which actually one of the good Sasami story arcs was the Chef of Iron, where she was going against, I believe it was Kazuma Kagato. It was a, a, a young child version of Kagato who has no, which by the way, the manga makes a very big point. This is, has no relation to the Kagato from the OVA. But you have this this cooking contest between Sasami and Kagato. No special powers, no exploding worlds, no galactic travesties go, uh, are being permit or happening here. It's just a straight up cooking contest. In fact, it's Chef of Iron. It's a, of course a knock against Iron Chef. But there, they could have you have so much variety into what kind of stories you want. So where would you start? Yakagi and Minagi, I would agree, would be a good place to start. Where to go from there, where you go from little shorts or to the big long arcs. If you wanted to go with big long arcs, the ones that I would want to see animated uh, would definitely be the Unnamed Tree arc, which is Ibarra's story arc. You could also go with uh, the Evil Ayaka, the Garyu arc, where Ayaka's mind control. That's another good one. Both of those show sides of uh, Ayaka and Ryoko, respectively, that are very, very poignant, not really been explored. That'd be something new for fans to see if they haven't read the manga before. That would be something to see animated that they have never seen and be completely new material for them. Um also, some of these little shorts and sweets where you ex- do world building, where you, uh, there was an episode, or not an episode, a chapter where Ryoko takes a fighter under her wing and proceeds to train him, and you get to see all these different training sequences with Ryoko sitting on his back as he does push-ups and this, that, and the other, and I, again, I'm not going to spoil that story arc, but that's a, a little one-off for one character. You have all these nice little episodes that could easily be, I don't want to say it because it's a very bad word to use, but filler se- season. Essentially, if you want to have just a epi- bunch of random episodes you can sew at random times with no connection to each other, the manga's full of them. You could definitely fill a season of just random stories. Now, if you want the big, long story arcs, the Yume arc... I could definitely see the first half of the arc with the on Ryuten being a season, have a cliffhanger where Yume is introduced, and having the next season deal with her, and that climaxed, being climaxed with the Black Lighthawk wings at the end. Uh, similarly, the unnamed tree arc could be half a season. The Oku 2 arc would be a, another season. You have or half a season. So you have all these different arcs thrown around. Mix and match them. The only thing you need to make sure is that you don't... Uh, have an arc with a character that hasn't been introduced yet. As far as the manga being animated, it's unanimous, and I will sing with the choir on this one. It needs to be animated. Um, just from the little bit that I've read and been exposed to, it's fantastic. I agree with what Pi said about uh, animating a lot of it, because a lot of it is stuff that people haven't seen. You know, many of the arcs that we're talking about here today no, but there's a good chunk of people that have probably never even heard of it. There are probably people who probably haven't even heard of the manga itself, and we're still fans of Tenchi, and maybe having a little bit of a, a recap, but as far as alluding to things that have already happened, I don't think you need to connect anything. Um, like, if there's anything that was OVA-centric that uh, Okuda tried to tie in. I don't think any of that needs to be there. I think if they were going to make animated adaptations, they need to be one-offs, or they need to be, uh, unique arcs that make this animated version of Tenchi, uh, from the manga be unique. And so, it makes you wonder why they didn't put those up as filler in between, but 
Who knows? But I would definitely say get it animated. It needs to be animated. And as far as stories, the intro arc is what told... Just the intro arc with Yukage and Minagi made me want to read this thing and think that it was fantastic just from one or two volumes. So I would say definitely start off with that one because that would bring people up to speed and everybody would know what's going on. Like, oh, this is still kind of set in uh, the OVA. Kind of, It's set in things that we're comfortable with, but it's about to go into brand new territory that's still fun. The manga is filled with many extraordinary concepts and plot elements such as Black Lighthawk Wings, or otherwise dubbed as the Black Hawk Wings, a planet of people whose job it is to carve the trees of Jirai into spaceships, and creatures who prey on Jirai tree energy. Which original concept introduced in the manga is your favorite, and has it inspired your conceptions of Tenshi in any way? Ah, funny you should say that. Um, well, I've actually got two. Uh, the first would be the Black Hawk Wings. Um, whilst it was very short, that that page where, um, I can't remember who said it now, when they said Bison's, or Bison's, uh, Light Hawk Wings are turning black, I thought, oh my god. And, you know, the end of the that part of the universe was at hand. I thought, my god, this is serious. I thought Jirai was powerful before, but the, um, the thought of this incredible energy going out of control, I thought that, that really impressed me. And, um, I mean, whilst I got no real inclination to actually write anything about it. I, I do like um, like things that are just short but sweet, and like I like designing things from it. Um, this probably the one that tops it is the, as I've stated, the Mitsu. As I said, I thought that plot element was brilliant. Uh, you know, a tiny creature just so deadly that it's probably the Toitis kept secret in Jirai, and if that got out, uh, I, I didn't think Jirai would, uh, you know, get out of the next war so easily. Um, but it's also inspired me in another way. Uh, I like writing fan fictions, you see. Uh, I can't remember what it inspired me exactly, but at some point I, I actually included that Mitsu in my fanfic. I I wanted to expand on the subject. By this, I mean the manga story show, just the tip of the iceberg of this amazing plot and the danger of this creature. And I felt it could use more depth and danger. And I'm thoroughly enjoying plunging the cast into their darkest story yet. And... Oh yeah, if you want to read it, Tension Where You're In Love 3 on fanfiction.net. Thank you. Alright, let's see how I can follow that. So... The manga introduces a lot, a lot of nifty ideas, as uh, Dagon just mentioned, and among them, there's a lot to list. So I'm going to keep it to the highlights. The first of which, of course, is the Black Lighthawk wings, which we did not get a lot of coverage on. We got a couple, pan- we essentially got about uh, ten pages of them trying to stop the end of the universe because Bizen had actually connected itself to all of the other trees of the dry fleet and was proceeded to cause a cataclysmic tear in the, tear in the fabric of the universe as its lighthawk wings were turning black. The tree was dying, and they needed some way to essentially disconnect this, this essentially detonator from the rest of the bomb taking out all of Tsunami's work. So... 
that was an interesting idea of actually t- using the black, using the Lighthawk wings or these Blackhawk wings to a cataclysmic effect. But one of the other things that I like that Okuda, Okuda did that I have not seen in many in any other continuity, even if you include Duel or if you include uh, Saint Knight's Tale or War and Gemini or whichever way you want to call it, I haven't read Okuda, uh, Hazagawa's novel, so I'm not sure if this happens in her her books, but I bet it probably does in some flavor. Is that Okuda gave the uh, Lighthawk Wings weaknesses. They had godlike strengths. They can essentially protect against just about anything, but and also cut through just about anything, as we see with Kagato and Soja. But also, Akuda in, I believe it was uh, Volume 8, I believe, Chapter 2 or 3, they introduce a, introduce a creature called a Shou. And what it does is it essentially preys on other creatures' energies. It cop- captures Ryoko, copies her, captures Washu, copies her, and proceeds to go around. And then gets comes up to Tenshi, tries to go after him. Tenshi, of course, does his uh, subconscious protect me Lighthawk Wings move. The Lighthawk Wings pop out, protect him, but just barely scare the thing off. Later, he tries to use the Lighthawk Wings again and can't use them. So he, uh, in the the context, since he actually thinks to himself, "Oh, I can't use the lighthawk wings. I can't use the lighthawk wings. They must need to recharge or something." So there's a time. There seems to be a power limit or a time limit to where he can use the lighthawk wings, which means that they are limited. Whether that's because of Tenshi or because of the lighthawk wings are an innate feature of the wings themselves, who knows? I, I have several theories about what actually caused that, but it made me think, okay, these Lighthawk wings are godlike powerful. You have a mortal using a godlike power. Where can you go with that? And that's something that I think you could really go with if you, for example, did a season of the manga, introduce some of these concepts, and then branch off into even new, more new material with a new writer. That would be, I think that would be a, ta- a way to go, because... In all the other representations of the Lighthawk Wings, they've been godlike, powerful. Not unlike the AT fields of Evangelion, they seem to have these. They seem to be the ultimate weapon of their respective universes. And I've seen a lot of parallels between the two. Uh, look at Over Three in the fight between Tenshi and Zed. They seem to act very similar to uh, AT fields at that point. Uh, whether Okuda or anyone else was looking at it, looking at each other at that point, I don't know. Um, also, you have the unnamed tree. The unnamed tree. What is? You have the dry, the driest power. Whether you look at it as being some kind of innate energy, or if you look at it as being an extension of tsunami, you have the unnamed tree who has a mysterious ability as to why it was unnamed. Why was it left in the middle of nowhere? There's a lot of whys going on there, and one can ask questions of what is the eventual extent of the dry's power what could you do with it could you warp time could you crack the universe there's so many so many theories floating around with that that you could have a lot of fun with it uh you may uh, another reason why you is a good want a good character and a fun p- person to play with is she's a counter to washu and a lot of the things that she did her minions her three her three minions she has hishima mushima and uh takashima three uh, the, what are called the Shima brothers, and each one of them is a created being, not unlike Ryoko, but in different in a different fashion. And each one of them seems to have some kind of shtick. In particular, um, Hishima is a clone of Goge and actually has a lot of his a lot of his natural strengths, which goes down the the cloning route as to uh, how can you mix and match the genetic potential of different races. And one could actually ask, 
what would happen if you take a, the genes from a Jiraiyan and the genes of whatever Ryoko is, whatever Washu is, whether you take uh, the universe stance or the Ova stance, put them in a blender, what do you get? And that's a lot of different things that could be inspired from the work that Okuda has done. I quite like the idea of the Mitsu, you know, this bane of tsunami that uh, feast on her power and this is top government conspiracy, you know, don't let anyone know about this, that Jirai is a weakness and stuff, so, yeah, I'd go for the Mitsu. Um, well, I mean, I'm no fanfic author, so, I mean, I can't really say I've drawn too much inspiration from it, but the one plot element that really got me was, um, the long-running, like, background sort of gags of breaking breaking the fourth wall. Like, every once in a while, the characters would look right at you, the reader, and say, well, hey, attention would say, well, hey, I'm the main character here. Why can't you listen to what I say? Or Washu will pop up in the, in, the, in the side of the panel and say, well, for the readers, let's have some explanation here. And then she'll explain what's going on. And it's funny stuff, and it, it, it works rather well. I mean, sometimes it's a bit bizarre. On the whole, it's very comical. Um, and it adds it adds a unique flavor to the to the manga that you really don't see in the in the shows or the OVAs at all. And so I, I found that one quite quite good. Uh, the only other thing I could say plot wise, plot element wise, would be the way Yosho's backstory keeps popping up throughout the entire run. Um, like every once in a while, you'll see a little hint of oh well, there was this one dry and swordsman who came by here a couple hundred years ago and. It's hinted that it was Yosho, and that, that things like that pop up all the time throughout all the arcs and little stories. And it's sort of a cool little undercurrent of of the the whole series itself. Seeing trying to put together, oh well, Yosho was here, and it's very cool stuff like that. But that's that's my piece on it. You know the the uh, matched pair of swords that was given to most likely Yosho, and uh, it's pretty well confirmed uh, later in there had could have had more to them. And you've got the the monk that's you know like the last of his kind or something like that if I remember correctly. You've got you know a lot of little areas that can be easily expanded upon where you know they left it open to interpretation. That's what a good book does. It allows your imagination to uh, fill in the blanks and and let it wander and do on its own. So I think uh, to a large extent. It, it did everything it needed to. The Blackhawk wings are a nice counter. We didn't see enough of them. Um, like I said, Yume's a nice counter. Uh, there's a couple of other areas where they could continue it. I mean, we don't really know absolutely what happened to the Prince of the Planet that died. You know, there's, there's plenty of room to still keep going. I think uh, it, it can be done. You just have to have people that are willing to do it and enjoy what they're working on. I was just curious. Uh, Pi, um, you, you, you said already you love that, uh, was it Evil Lake arc? And I know you've got a fanfic, so I'm surprised you didn't reflect on that story inspiring you for your fanfic. Did, was, did it not inspire you? Actually, I was trying not to turn into a into a blatant advert for my stories, but yes, the Oku 2 arc with uh, Garyu and the mind twisted Ayaka definitely influenced my perception of her and how and what you could do with Ayaka in in writing. We're about to wrap it up. Is there anything that anybody would like to add? And uh, I know that JG had made a uh, statement on. Was there anything 
that was a least favorite moment or anything do you think that could be improved on and it's just kind of open uh, well I had I did have a little gripe about the manga it's probably just me um it just could be the way Akuda drew things some parts you know they've got that uh, they've got those big eyes and there's like everyone going oh that's so nice like when says something does something sweet and it crosses the line of doing it you know over the top <laughs> because I think oh god turn it down it just looks daft um that's probably my only gripe it feels awkward and stuff <laughs> The one thing that I could say that could be improved, I suppose, is probably how they tie in some other characters. Because later in this manga, as the as the OVA continued, because keep in mind the timeline of this, the original OVA first OVA series came out in '92, and the manga started either I forget if it's late '92 or early '93, and as such, it drew originally from the original original OVA series. It had nothing to do with OVA two at first. So, for example, Clay isn't mentioned, Tokimi isn't mentioned, etc. And as the manga was going, the anime was being written simultan- uh, simultaneously. So every now and then, you'd get a hint, like uh, especially in the, for example, like the Dark Washu arc or the the final arc with uh, Ki- with Masaki Kione showing up. You have references to what's going on in the manga, and I believe uh, JG or Chuck mentioned this that occasionally Okuda would poke fun at what's going on in the anime at the moment. Or make reference to it, for example, with Clay and create uh, cr- uh, dealing with Dark Washu and it, that it tie- those two story arcs tied together. But um, occasionally you'd have a character show up like Seto or uh, Kamiki Seto, have her show up. Uh, Funaho and uh, Mis- Misaki would, sh- would crop up. Uh, I think Azusa, the Emperor, cropped up once and challenged Tenji to a duel. Is uh, Occasionally might have to explain kind of weave them in a little bit better because they seem to just kind of pop up and it's like, if you weren't aware that they existed already, it's like, who's this again? Um, Also, one other thing I think that could be added to the manga, not this run of the manga, I'd like to see uh, Okuda take his hand at writing a universe manga, one that was set in Tenshi Universe instead, and see where he could go with that, because I'd like to see what he could do with the knights, Azaka and Kamidake, or with our favorite bounty hunter, uh, Nagi and Kenoki. I would love to see what he could do with that. I agree with Pi on some level that uh, I think Okuda did a huge uh, improvement on the handling of Seto and Masaki Kione. Uh, and I think, honestly, probably Kajishima ripped it to make OVA3 because it came out OVA3 after the manga section that dealt with that. But read it, you'll find out. But the two complaints I think I have on the manga, uh, actually, I guess three, and the last one's just a tiny one. Uh, the first one is I'm not honestly a fan of Minagi. I mean, everybody else is like probably going boo on their side of the mic right now, but. She uh, even on the Wikipedia article she's referenced as like a equivalent to zero. To some extent, I think copying um, Ryoko and making Minagi left the door closed for more development on Ryoko. I mean, we do have the the unnamed tree arc and all that. We get to see parts of it, but Ryoko is much more aggressive, much more headstrong, and just barrel your way into every problem. Um, 
as a result, I would have much rather seen more of, like, the ending of OVA 2 when Zero and Ryoko merged, and that's never something that's been touched on. It's just dropped dead, and then it never went anywhere. Um, so I kind of think, like, Minagi kind of distracts or divides Ryoko in a sense, and that's, you know, I just can't really get over that nudge there. I mean, she's an okay character. She does have her purpose. She does, you know, do things and show up at the right time and all that. But it's just kind of like, we don't need another Ryoko. It's it's fine as is. The other thing was, again, on Ryoko is, like Dagon said earlier, um, they constantly pounded into the ground that uh, Ryoko is a marionette or an artificial life form or a you know, basically a droid or something, and it just cheapens her character to an extent. And of course, she uh, understandably goes into a rage mode and tries to annihilate whoever's saying something like that. Um, you know, one of those moments is when a couple of like bounty hunters literally have their tendrils into Tenchi's brain, threatening giving him permanent brain damage if she doesn't stand down and do what they want. Um, that's not something you're going to see typically. It, it just, again, kind of cheapened Ryoko. I mean, you don't have to hit on it multiple times. Uh, and again, the, the third thing, again, relates to Ryoko. I guess I'm kind of hitting on it because I've been a you know, Ryoko fan of anybody in Tenchi, uh, besides maybe Kione, is that the ending kind of, again, kind of left on that very last chapter of the book, you know, trying not to do spoilers here, but she basically gets... Uh, her heart ripped out almost and is basically dying for Tenchi and granted the the story ends on a high note but it just kind of there could be could be done a little bit differently there I think and in an anime it would almost have to be um but those were my three little nuggets of disappointment everything else though it's still fantastic and you need to read it it's just my little tidbit needs more Keone as well Keone Mackie Yes, I will. I will second that one wholeheartedly. More Kione. Also, JG, you asked for it. Boo, Minagi rocks. That's all. Well, thanks everybody for coming in today and being part of the manga cast. Long time in the running. Until next time, stay gold. (laughs) 